Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is going live soon, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 125. This week, my guest is Alan Hoskins. He's been he's kind of a, a reoccurring guest on here, and I really enjoy him coming on. Alan is a uh, he's a banker out in Louisville, Kentucky. Works for American Farm Mortgage, and uh, he is uh, kind of a jack of all trades. You know, if you want to check out Alan, go back and listen to some of the previous podcasts. But he's got a pretty good handle on what's going on around him, and, and he's one of those guys that has a has a, a rare view uh, of uh, what it means to be an ag lender and a farmer as well. So, Alan, welcome back to the show. Casey, thank you. I'm uh, very much appreciative to be back. Well, the renewal season is in the air, so everybody's uh, farmers are out and about talking with bankers, kind of looking at their plan for this coming year and getting an idea what their what their operating notes are going to look like. And and uh, as you uh, have done worked with your uh, with your client base that you work with and and looked at some different stuff what's your overall feel and and what do you see happening in 2019 that might be different than 2018 well casey i think as borrowers come in we're kind of seeing what we believed we would find in that working capital is continuing to hold steady at best to diminishing in our area last year we had some pretty good yields a few guys took advantage of the opportunities in last March and April to be able to make some pretty good sales, and you can really tell it right now. And so what we're finding, working capital is, as I said, holding holding its own at best. In some cases, we've seen some deterioration, seen some folks actually come in with some negative working capital. Fortunately, there's still some pretty good opportunities if it makes sense to do some refinancing. Long-term interest rates are still pretty attractive, even though we've seen the short-term rates trending upward. I'd say, Casey, looking forward into 2019, obviously 2018 was interesting with what happened with commodity prices, with the governmental issues that we saw occur. None of us know what to expect in 2019, but I think it's placed everybody a little bit on more of a heightened awareness of the importance of having that written marketing plan, knowing your cost of production, and when the profitable selling opportunities come about, making sure that they get some sales on the books to help them feel a little more comfortable as the markets continue to be very volatile. Well, one of the things that I that I this time of the year I get I get a lot of questions about stuff like this from whether it be you know I get there's some bankers that reach out every once in a while and ask me some questions or there might be uh you know there's a insurance adjuster or something like that that'll pop up and say hey uh what's the uh, what's the average rate of depreciation on a piece of equipment and I I've never given anyone a straight answer on that because there isn't an average depreciation on a piece of equipment um, it really depends on what you see happening out there as far as simply supply and demand, right? 
So the more absolutely the more supply you have, you know, the demand goes down. The more demand you have, less supply you have. So there's going to be some some ebbs and flows there. So just it really is a, a piece by piece reaction to that. So I wrote an article for Farm Equipment Magazine here. Should be coming out in March, I think. But it's about you know there's no easy button because there's no easy way to really determine what a year over year depreciation is for a piece of equipment. So what what's your thought on that, Alan? I mean, I know that's one of your we talk about this a lot and that's one of your big pet peeves. So what what's your what's your thought on that and, and how how do you combat that, you know, that year over year depreciation, looking at folks' balance sheets and and understanding what they do with their equipment? Well, I think, Casey, the, the first thing that I want to do when I'm sitting down with that borrower is ask them what they think. Because there are some borrowers out there, there's some farmers out there, Casey, that are pretty well attuned to the changes in the marketplace. Now, I think, unfortunately, those tend to be the exceptions. And, Casey, I, I guess I'll talk a little bit about the banking industry here. I think there's a lot of bankers that could use a pretty good education on what's going on in this equipment market right now. Uh, I saw a case recently of where a 2014 S680 was on a balance sheet at $400,000. Certainly that machine, even in pristine condition with average hours is worth nowhere near that figure. And I think it's a good opportunity for me personally when a farmer has their balance sheet and we do the detailed machinery and equipment listing, which I think is an absolute must. It's a great opportunity for me to listen to what they think is going on in the marketplace. But more importantly, I want to use that machinery and equipment list to have a discussion with them about, guys, what are you thinking over the next 12 months, 36 months, 60 months, 72 months? What do you see on this list that you're going to need to update? And let's talk about that. Let's figure out how we factor it into the cash flow. And let's not get surprised by things. But also, even with what we're seeing in the marketplace today, Casey, I think it's a great time to look at opportunities that are in the marketplace. So... I guess I probably view it a little differently than a lot of ag bankers, but it, to me, it's really important to have that discussion with that borrower, understand what they're thinking, and then let's have a meaningful discussion about what you think you want to do with some of your major items here over the next one, three, or five years. And, that, and that's that's what I get. You know, you take a look at so, you know some equipment situations that are out there. So if you take a look at anything that's built in 2012, 2014, there's a lot of them. Right, it's just because the because the economy was humming and there was all kinds of money in the market, and they just couldn't make machines fast enough. Doesn't matter what manufacturer it is, there's just a lot of it. Right, um, that that that's the equipment that I I have the most concern about when I look at what's going on. Simply because of it's all about the same equipment, it's all about the same number of hours. So you have this huge glut of you know, 1500 to whatever, 2,500 hour combines, you know, that are, that are sitting out there now. Simple supply and demand tells you that's going to be a problem. Um, especially those are the guys that are going to be wanting to trade those in to get into those one, two, three, four year old machines, 
you know and that's 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 the hard part for me when i look at that and you're trying to tell you tell a guy that hey you're trading your machine in and you know it's worth whatever 125,000 bucks to you know well basically 100 to 150,000 bucks depending on what it is and the one you're wanting to buy is 250 to 350,000 bucks depending on what it is so now you're you're having to come up with an extra 100 to 200,000 bucks worth of trade difference on top of what what you're already out there looking at and that's and it's just getting tougher to to have, to make to have that conversation especially when you talk about planners sure but Casey, I, I think one thing that people need to keep in mind a little bit because they see those numbers and they are large numbers, no question. But if you look at the fact, say you've got a guy that's got a 2014 S680 and he wants to trade for a 2019 S780, he's not just trading iron, he's trading technology. And, and definitely with the cost of technology, it certainly plays a huge role in why we see these numbers change so dramatically. But I think it's something that people do need to keep in mind that they're not just trading iron anymore. They're trading the technology. But you're absolutely right in, in what you said, Casey. I mean, you know, even a three, four-year upgrade, three-year upgrade, you may be looking at the price of the combine that they're trading in just to upgrade. So I think it certainly gives them an opportunity to look at what are they really getting for their money. You touched on planners there. I think planners are probably an even better illustration than combines because when you look at the technology that can be utilized on a planner that has a little bit of age on it, I think that's where they've got to really look at what are we accomplishing with our trade? Do we have metal fatigue? Do we need better singulation? What's the real reason we're wanting to trade planters? And I think when they know those type things, Casey, that's where they go back to their lenders and say, look, let's talk about the reason for the trade, not just the trade. Because there's a return on investment opportunity available, both in the planter and the combine, that typically aren't there with you know, tillage equipment or something of that nature. So I think it's certainly, it used to be that when people traded equipment, it was basically an equipment trade. And today it is nowhere near that. That's, that is one of the biggest, um, probably overarching things was, is that for the folks that in 2013, 2014, 2012, that got that new piece and then, you know, when they were either doing a two-year trade cycle or a one-year trade cycle or whatever that trade cycle might have been, when they skipped five whole model years, and then they now they're trying to get back into the marketplace. It's a it's a tough. I, don't, I mean, it's not like they don't know. You know what I mean? I think it's more widely accepted now. The price of equipment is is what it is now more than it's ever been um, through this whole down cycle. Um, it, the hard part is it's it's the I think a lot of it is the justification to to the lender when you go talk to them. And I think that's where they're looking at balance sheets. They're looking at equity positions. They're looking at, you know, ratios and all these different things that play into that with sometimes I feel like, and I'm going to probably get some hate mail out of this deal, but little regard to what, what, what the actual piece of equipment is going to do for them when they get it back to their farm. 
And I just I think that there's a huge disconnect there in the lending community when you start when you step back and take a look at the big picture. Absolutely, Casey. I I agree with you. In fact, one of the things that I think farmers probably could be a little more proactive about is when they get ready to go in and have that conversation about if they're wanting to finance a, a combine purchase or a planter trade. Before they tell the banker what they're wanting, I think it'd be great to ask the banker, what are the banker's thoughts? When when the banker looks at their machinery and equipment list and looks at their number of acres and they tell them the type of hours, I think getting the feedback from the banker before they start talking about what they want, I think is a great segue to allow them to understand what knowledge their bank has about what they're wanting to do. Because unfortunately, Casey, it's it's not just they're looking for a loan, but in many cases, they're having to educate that banker. And that can be a tough thing to do when when you look at someone who may not have a lot of experiential knowledge, if you will, about today's modern combines or modern planters. It's not that you're just looking for financing. In many cases, you're having to help them understand that this is not an expense. This is an investment that's going to generate a return. So how do you how do I how do I do that? Give me, pretend like uh, let's do a little role play here. I'm the I'm the farmer. I'm coming in. I want to talk to you about just getting a uh, two hundred fifty thousand dollars new planter. And whether no matter what no matter what manufactured is, that's pretty close to what you're going to spend on a, on a new planter. Uh, and the one I'm trading in is worth fifty grand. Um, so we're looking at two hundred thousand dollar trade difference. Now I can sit there and I can tell you the John Q Farm or John Q Banker over here all day long the be- the benefits of having better emergence, better singulation, better you know in fertilization or you know whatever that might be. H- how am I how am I going to tell that that story to to make sure that my banker understands that? Sure. Well, I think, Casey, the way a great way to start that out would be asking the banker, as you've had other customers trade planners, what are the benefits that you've seen your other customers get? And see what kind of response you get from the banker. Because if the response you get is, we've seen other customers that because of the improved singulation, they're getting a more emergent crop getting more even crop if you get that kind of a response from a banker then your discussion as the borrower is going to be different because you're not having to educate them on why the price tags two hundred thousand dollars they have a good understanding but if that banker says you know i really don't know that much about the planners today then unfortunately, Casey, it's probably going to be a little more of an elongated conversation where the producer is going to need to spend a little time in helping the banker, unfortunately, understand some basic agronomics as well as some basic knowledge about what this machine actually does. So I think asking the banker what they've seen others do Asking the banker what kind of residual value 
are you seeing some planners have when people sell them or when they trade? Just finding out what that banker's knowledge is, and, and it's not trying to be critical of the banker or make them feel uncomfortable, but as the borrower, you have to be able to understand the knowledge level of the person that you're dealing with in order to figure out the best way to have the conversation with them. Because I don't think, Casey, bankers sit there and look for opportunities to say no, but many times they may not understand the benefits that the person is asking them to recognize that will occur because they're going to make this trade. So I think that's why asking those questions is a good way to start the conversation. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's 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 a lot of things about you know we sit down and talk about equipment and we talk about the different aspects of the equipment and especially when it comes to technology and what it can do and what it can't do. Uh, you know, there's a lot of folks that we talk to about that, especially when you're looking at um, outside of the industry, right? If they're not if they're not from a, a of some kind of agronomical background of of or some kind of agro business type thing you know you start talking about these different work you know they may or may not even know that the ag lender you're working with might not have any idea what what farming even how i mean what what that even how to even go out and plant anything or grow up on a farm or anything like that and you're seeing more and more of that just because of i mean just just the, the trend to make one percent of the population farms right now you know so it's i mean i tell you, there's not that many people that are going to go back into some level of, of, of that of that field. And Casey, that over the past few years, I've heard a lot of people ask, are we going to repeat the 1980s? Well, you know, on a, on a bigger picture, I don't have any clue about that. But one of the things that I'll tell you that I believe is drastically different today than the 1980s, you go back to the 1980s and you had ag lenders that were pretty darn strong in understanding agriculture. Their finance knowledge, candidly, in many cases, was less than their agricultural knowledge. In today's world, exactly what you said is true. You look at the number of people on farms. We see the inverse today in ag lending. We see a lot of people coming into ag lending that are really, really skilled and knowledgeable in finance. But Casey, they don't understand agriculture the way that they did in the 1980s. So that that's a big difference. And, you know, Casey, here's, here's another thing that I kind of think. It's become expected that farmers need to know the ratios and they need to understand the financial aspect of it today. That's the banker's expectation. Well, what about the customer's expectation that the banker does likewise? Because if, if I'm going to ask a producer to become more knowledgeable about the finance, shouldn't the same expectation be held for me that I've become more knowledgeable. I mean, look at it this way. Machinery and equipment today, in many cases, can make up a third to as much as a half of a producer's equity. That's a huge number in today's world. Shouldn't that banker have some basic knowledge about a number that large? Yeah, you would, you would think so. You think, well, just from an asset protection perspective, you know, I'm not asking them mm-hmm. to be a, a full-blown product specialist when it comes to t- talking about a combine right. or something like that, but they need to have the basic understanding of what, whether it be a case of deer, agco, whatever it might be, what the technology is that's yes. in that machine that's going that's that gives it the edge to to go on to the next level. We are in um, 
quarter, like midway through February now. You don't have about maybe 10 days left. About the first quarter of the year is kind of wrapping up or taking a look at what's going on. How do you think 19 is going to be any different than 18? Because when I look out there right now, <clears throat> barring something happened with China or something, you know, some sort of weather event taking place or something like that, I don't see that. I really see 19 being a carbon copy of 18, to be to be real honest with you. Well, you know, Casey, here's, as we sit here today, if you look at commodity prices, or at least in our area, in contrast to the selling opportunity that we had last March, the numbers just aren't as high yet. Now, I, I can't predict the future, and certainly the market facilitation payment that folks received on beans last year, if they did a good job market, marketing in the spring and then they got the MFP, you know, that turned out to be a pretty good year on soybeans if they had some yields. The thing, Casey, that I kind of wonder, we're, with where we are on commodity prices right now, if we have trend line average yields, the margins are pretty darn tight. Uh, in some cases, depending upon the producer's overhead structure, the margins are in the red. So absent some kind of market movement, it's going to be a pretty challenging year, I think. Now, history says, and I know history is no indication of the future, if you go back over the last 40 years, there's been at least one profitable selling opportunity throughout the growing year. I think historically, that tends to come pretty early. One of the things, Casey, that I hope guys are doing is they head to the field with the planters, don't forget about marketing. Because, honestly, the best marketing opportunity may be while you're in the planter. So, whoever you're working with on marketing, I think it's imperative that you stay in contact with them, have that written marketing plan. But, you know, Casey, if, if we see a flat year from a yield perspective in relation to trend line, and we don't see these commodity prices do much, it's it's going to be a pretty challenging year. And I think we're seeing some of that now um, with the uncertainty in the marketplace. Um, mm-hmm. We have gotten... Our, you know, number-wise, we're, we're probably not much off of what we were this time last year. So, I mean, if that's any indicator, mm-hmm. that's kind of where I'm getting my same as, you know, same song, different dance kind of approach to 2019. But yes. if we keep the same yes. trend line that we're seeing now and what the markets did, you know, here this, mm-hmm. this first part of the week here um, and at the end of last week, so we're mm-hmm. talking like the third week of February here, and yes. if that trend line continues in the same what we're seeing – um, you know, we've hit some, we've hit some all time mm-hmm. lows, all time weekly lows here. So I, I, yeah, I think there could be some, they're going to, they're definitely going to be some pain that, that will be felt if we don't get this thing with China taken care of. And that's, but who knows what happens then, right? What's, what's that mean? I've read articles that I read articles that show this is the first year in a long time where we're going to have, um, consumption outpace, uh, consumption is going to outpace the, um, production of soybeans um so normally it's pretty close to each other you know and yes. normally we produce just a little bit more than we than we consume that's why we have the stocks that we have now but but so so what's so what's that mean you know yes. how, how's that going to affect the, the bean market which we won't know any of that till august or september you know that's when you're really going to start seeing that <laughs> absolutely start playing into the market but take a look at the weather situation when right now if the weather models are right and you start looking at long-term forecasts and, and long-term weather modeling, 
winter's here to like April, you know, it sounds like. So um, that could start having an effect on, on, on some markets too. So there, there's a lot of things in the, in the works right now that could absolutely have a dynamic effect on, on the overall marketability or overall profitability of, of uh, the farmer right now. Mm-hmm. And Casey, you, you touched on it there. The, the weather scares in the market earlier rather than later probably provide the best selling opportunities for the farmer maybe over the course of the year. So if there is a weather scare right now, you know, certainly I've seen multiple producers that already have some pretty good sales on the books for 2019. But if a weather scare presents itself, it's good to understand where your break-evens are and have that written marketing plan in place so that when that scare comes, you can take advantage of it. Chip Nellinger's on here in the uh, on Sundays, and we talk about that a lot. You know, that's what he does is he's... He does that marketing plan, works with that, takes a look at the markets, and and really starts driving that plan home. and And there's something to that, man. Yep. Having that that plan, and, and not only just having the plan, but sticking to it, and having the discipline to say, "I'm not going to wait for the extra dime or the extra nickel. I'm going the plan says sell. I'm selling or buy or we'll put or call or whatever it is. You do you do what you're going to do, and you, and you keep it up with it. And those are the folks that have that plan and stick to it. Those are the ones in the long run are the ones that actually make make the most of, of the marketing year. Absolutely, they do, Casey. And I think a huge reason why that's true, having that written marketing plan, and you talked about Chip, and I, I agree with you completely, Chip. I think Chip does a good job in, in looking at the markets and trying to understand the technical aspects of it, but also applying real-world common sense. But one of the things that I think is understanding that cost of production, but that written marketing plan takes the emotion out of it. And I think that's I think that's where a lot of times people, I won't say get into trouble, but maybe they miss the opportunity that's really there because they let the emotion play into it instead of letting it be what it is. It is a true business decision. So I think that's something that that written marketing plan does. And we talk about that with producers. How do you take the emotion out of your selling decision? Same thing with uh, value and equipment. How do you take the emotion out of, out of the uh, customer contact that you have? So yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it is a emotion is a, uh, it can be a bad thing sometimes more times than not than when it, in, in any part of your life, I guess when you start looking at how your reaction to things are. So yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's definitely something that you got to got to keep in check from time from time to time. It definitely, and and you know, Casey, there's definitely emotion associated with equipment because you know, let's face it, that's where guys spend so much of their time, and the ladies too, not just the guys. That's where producers spend a lot of their time is in that equipment, and that equipment is a source of pride to them. It should be a source of pride to them. But you're absolutely right. If you do your best to take the emotion out of it and understand that it is a tool that you use to generate a profit, that does help. You know, the, maybe the emotion is better left in a lot of cases for the collector tractors, but there's still a tremendous amount of pride associated with buying a, a brand new tractor or, or a new tractor or combine to you. It doesn't have to be brand new in today's world. Absolutely. Well, Alan, I think we've uh, covered the bases on this one, and I appreciate you being on the podcast. If guys want to reach out to you or, and pick your brain or ask you a question, how would they do that? 
sure. My email address, Casey, is ahoskins at americanfarmmortgage.com. And they can reach me at area code 812-213-3614. And that is my direct number. Rings straight to me. So it allows you to bypass the switchboard. Right on. Inside baseball with Alan Hoskins. I like it. I like it. All right, Alan. (laughs) Well, buddy, I appreciate you being on, and and we'll catch you next time, man. Casey, thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Here you can find Morning Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax Moves with Glenn Birnbaum. Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is going live soon, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. You'll be able to hear Dryline Farmer Podcast, Girls Talk Ag, the Topsoil Podcast, Ag News Daily, Working Cows, Heifer Please, Throwback Iron, and Ask Agnes. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at your favorite podcasting platform. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century.